0: Sex scandal glamour, folks, this is your pretty standard screen watching.
1: This is not like TV only battle. Television! Teacher Mother! Secret lover.
0: What, that's it? That's your movie? Well I said that I had an idea for it. Folks, this is Screen Watching. My name's Dan Barrett. We've got a humdinger of an episode. We're talking about some of the biggest TV shows and movies dropping this week. I'm going to talk about the brand new Gossip Girl show, and aren't we all excited to hear my thoughts on that one? Uh, We're going to talk about The Good Fight. We're going to talk about Fear Street, which is a new Netflix series of TV horror movies. Uh, Simon, you're looking at a French film called Perfumes.
1: And also, what's the fifth thing that we've got talking about here this week? Or something big. We're talking about prisons in film. We're going to look at what's happening in the world behind bars, in the lockdown, the big house. <laughs> the you know what they? <laughs> well, you went with Humdinger, so I thought I'd drop in the big house. So it's 1950s here. The world is 19. Okay.
0: The world is at war. Okay, so Simon Foster, we've got a whole bunch of stuff to get into, and I'm excited to do it. But first of all, we need to do some wrapping up of business. Last week... You said it's your birthday. You made a very big song and dance about it. I ignored it. And I feel that I made the right choice. But you did say that you're off on holidays and suddenly we found ourselves in a lockdown. This entire situation. We're not supposed to leave our house other than to do some general exercise and a little bit of grocery shopping. So I won't be leaving my house. I presume that your holiday just fell to pot. Like what's going on? What have you filled your week with?
1: Well, I've been screen-watching, my friend, yes. Unfortunately, we were were due to go out and frolic with the kangaroos out beyond Bathurst at some point. Um, Yes, with Sydney in lockdown and much of the rest of Australia going through similar kind of social burdens, um, we stuck at home and we watched telly and uh, did a bit of writing. Things are coming together with the film festival and it was a very busy week for screen-watching. had a lot of stuff come through on links, so... Hey, I've been sitting on that end of the couch watching the television. Nothing too unusual for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've spent your week in
0: the best possible way. And we are in a lockdown. So I thought we'd dedicate part of the show this week to talking about
1: prisons. Because, you know, oh, what more... That most... is a kind of segue. That is a beautiful segue. That's why you are so respected by a few. Yeah, by my mum mostly.
0: <laughs> but anyway, before we get to that <laughs> uplifting segment, let's dive right in to talk about the hottest shows in TV and movies this week.
1: It stinks.
0: Okay, Simon, I want to delve right into talking about the brand new 2021 reboot of Gossip Girl. She is a stranger who has found herself in your friend group with your boyfriend. I promised I would stay away from
1: any drama. Did you miss me? I know I've missed you.
0: The original Gossip Girl ran for 121 episodes from 2007 through to 2012. Of those episodes, I probably saw about, doing a rough math, none of them. Now, mm-hmm. I was suddenly aware of the show. I'd seen enough of it to know that the show wasn't really for me. And that's fine. Not everything has to be. We don't live in a perfect world. But I never really connected with the youth soap story of the rich entitled teens living in a fantasy existence in New York City. And I also found the show to be a little bit humorless. A brand new version of Gossip Girl has hit the screens produced by HBO Max. With the show now made for a streaming service, it means that Gossip Girl is a different beast now than it was a decade plus ago when the original aired. Because it's streaming and free from the constraints of broadcast, it can now be racier, be more edgy with language, and it no longer has the blurred of 20 plus episodes a season to produce. It's now a more manageable 12 episodes, with six episodes launching now and another six episodes in a few months' time. The revised Gossip Girl does things a little bit differently. The story revolves around a teenage girl moving to New York and attending the same prestigious private school as her half-sister, a sister she's secretly been in communication with. The two have hatched a plan to elevate the new girl to the same social stature as her social media famous sister. Because that's the thing the show gets right. These aren't just kids that are seeking high school popularity. With a wide swath of social media followers, the stakes are now considerably higher. It's not high school fame, it's global fame. Now, again, the show isn't really for me. I can't really find a way to get invested in this kind of storytelling. And again, that's fine. I will say the new cast are deeply compelling on screen and I'm positive that within a few weeks, Gossip Girl is going to be an absolute must watch for the audience that's drawn to this kind of show. It's glitzy, scandal-filled and has all the right delicious elements of soap. But for me, it's missing the dramatic pathos I'm really looking for as uh, great the opportunity is for streaming to be able to adult things up somewhat and still very sort of teenage and very uh, like... Tween focused, I guess, and maybe it's maturity levels at times. I couldn't really find much of a way into this, even the elevated presence of the teachers who deliver a little bit of humor into the series. It's not really something that I'm looking for, but as I said, I think the show absolutely has
1: an audience and they will be going crazy for it within the next few weeks. Simon. The original Gossip Girl, which I saw a few episodes of, not a lot, uh, had A, a breakout star in Blake Lively, and B, a fairly adult spin on these teenagers living in an adult world. Um, Does this new one, which I haven't seen, um, offer a similar sort of milieu, as they say in the biz, or is this one very much a one for the under 18s oh look it's exactly the same so it's very much the show that you're
0: expecting it to be because you're aware of what Gossip Girl is so fans okay. of the original will certainly be on board for this I don't think it's really going to pick up that many new fans I don't think that the show is really operating on a different level despite what the creators of the show may actually be sort of purporting in various interviews around the place it had been talked up quite a bit more to have a bit more meat to it than I think the series actually has But production values are incredibly nice in this show. They've spent a lot of money on it. It looks great. I think people are going to get a real kick out of the show. It's just really not the sort of
1: show that I'm looking for. Fair enough indeed. I was able to get my lycanthropic buzz on with the new movies, Werewolves Within. Out of curiosity, who is packing? Well, we're having a good old-fashioned sleepover. With guns, though. With guns, yes. Everything about this predator is unorthodox. It's not human. It's not a canine. It's one of them. One of what? A lichen A what? I a werewolf. A proposed pipeline creates divisions within the small town of Beaverfield, and a snowstorm traps its residents together inside the local inn, all of which happens within the zippy first act of Werewolves Within. The newly arrived Forest Ranger Finn, played by Sam Richardson, and local postal worker Cecily, played by the wonderful Milana Vantraub, must try to keep the peace and uncover the truth behind a mysterious creature that begins terrorising the community, keeping that peace is a lot harder said than done. Just about everyone in the small snowbound township has a beef with each other, hillbilly mechanics, environmental scientists, nature-be-damned capitalists, conservative suburbanites, and the only same-sex couple in the village end up stuck together in the cosy bed-and-breakfast with not only a rampaging lycanthrope, but also a gun-toting mountain man to deal with. Director Josh Rubin returned to his rural roots to tell this story. As a boy, he grew up in the very woods where he filmed Werewolves Within. And he clearly loves this setting and loves these characters. But he's also got, in script writer, Mishnah Wolf. Yes, that's her name. A wordsmith that can supply the ensemble with crackling dialogue and a very funny twisty narrative the best of its kind since Knives Out I think. Um, Sam Richardson steps up to a likable leading man status after his sidekick stints notably in Veep and he shares a lovely chemistry with the angelic miliana Um, the small town setting, trope subversion, expertly etched bit players and zippy camera work make this the best Edgar Wright film Edgar Wright didn't make and it fit very nicely alongside any of the Cornetto trilogy Especially Hot Fuzz, I think, which it reminded me of. In werewolf movie history, it's got less hairy, bone-cracking transformation moments than classics like The Howling or An American Werewolf in London. As the title suggests, Werewolves Within is less about the monster as it manifests and more about the beasts within us all. On its own terms, it's a hugely enjoyable film and certainly earns its place amongst the best of the genre. It's in limited release now um, in capital cities around the country and in Sydney soon when the cinemas reopen.
0: I heard an interview with the director of the film the other day and also the writer, and I have to say they got me completely on board for this and your review just then kind of sealed it for me completely. I'm very excited to check this one out.
1: Yeah, it's a terrific piece of filmmaking and, and a lot of fun to boot.
0: Simon, let's move on. There is currently the fifth season of The Good Fight, and frankly, I've got to talk about it. You can't tell a joke without offending someone. Cultural inaccuracies. Mm. It's problematic language. You can just say black people. Oh. <laughs> Stereotypes.
1: Objection. On what ground? General asshole. It's like you need a permission slip to tell a joke. Ah. Oh my god, a permit to tell a joke, I love it. Did you use it? I don't want to tell a joke about white girl clothes. Okay, well, trade with me. Justice is only just, as long as it's available to everyone. In my
0: opinion, the good fight should be amongst the most watched shows on television. The show's cast is very charismatic. The episodes are a mix of being incredibly funny, a little bit weird, and always deeply connected to the cultural conversations of the moment. There's no TV show that feels more current ever than The Good Fight. Now, I could mention this as a spin-off from The Good Wife, but that feels so long ago that it's practically irrelevant at the stage. Plus, all the cool kids started avoiding broadcast TV shows by that point, so if anything, the original series is a weight tied to the ankle of The Good Fight. So... Here's my sales pitch to anyone who hasn't really watched the show before, or has just dismissed it entirely. You can consider the first episode back this season as a jumping on point. Consider it a brand new show. Every season of the show has reinvented itself in some way, so even if you've never seen the show before, you'll be equipped to be able to keep up. This season, though, is its fifth. And as the new season starts, there is actually a little bit of major housekeeping that needs to be done. Last year, the show got shut down right before it could finish its season. It was still filming when COVID-19 forced the world to put its pencils down and stop what it was doing. As a result, the show's had a few loose strings that it needed to deal with. Plus, it ended on the wildest episode of the show to date, probably the wildest episode of TV anywhere last year. It was a subtle Citizen Kane homage that had the law firm investigating how Jeffrey Epstein really died. It ended the episode, and thus the season, on an image of Epstein's rosebud, a cryogenically preserved Epstein penis. Yes, the show gets a little bit weird. So when the season returns, the show had business to wrap up, and this is where it gets pretty clever. Instead of a regular episode, the show delivers a season return that's made up of just several minute-long vignettes of the show of what previously happened on The Good Fight. Only the thing is, they're not clips of episodes we've seen before. They're entirely new scenes, as though it's the beginning of an episode of a TV show. You know, we've got the previously on, and you see the Mm -hmm. clip. It's basically that, but for an entire episode. And using the framing device, the show is able to wrap up some old business, which was writing out two of the regulars from the show, so the series said goodbye to Delroy Lindo and Kush Jumbo, and then it starts showing what happened throughout the year while it was off the air and how the characters dealt with COVID. It's a really unique storytelling device, and it's probably a really great way to serve as a sampler to audiences who've not watched the show of the many flavors of the series in bite-sized pieces. When the show gets started properly for the season in episode two, there's a really fantastic new idea for the show. Series regular Marissa, now working as a junior lawyer ahead of sitting for the bar, finds herself to the Ninth and 3 quarters circuit court. Yes, it's a Harry Potter reference. This is a fake courtroom presided over a season-long guest star, Mandy Patinkin. The courtroom is in the back of a copy store, and he's running a civil court. It's not legally binding, but the plaintiffs and defendants are all equally agreeing to follow the decisions of the fake court. It's essentially a real-life judge duty. Where the story gets really interesting is in the third episode of the season, where this judge, this fake judge, gets angel investor funding. The idea is to disrupt the justice system in the same way that Uber disrupted taxis and Airbnb disrupted accommodation. The philosophy that the fake judge, Judge Wagner, has is that the courts and justice are unattainable to anyone who doesn't have a shitload of cash to be able to wait justice out, and he's out there to amend that. And this storyline is not only highly entertaining, but kind of speaks to what The Good Fight managed to do as a series, which is to tell contemporary stories, which challenge the idea of the structures that we take for granted in place and the way that these structures are being challenged in a world that's being disrupted by American politics and the tech industry and everything that we knew and believed to be right no longer really exists. And how do you not want to watch that as a TV series?
1: Was that directed at me? Oh, uh, I do want to watch it. The way you describe it is that... Um it's a series that I have known of for many years, but I haven't seen an episode. I do apologize because um, all the reports are that it's a terrific bit of television. Uh, I'm hooked with the way you describe these sort of uh, bite-sized moments that, that sort of sum up the rest of the series. I'm, I'm keen to have a look at that. Where do we see season five? Okay, so it's bizarre because that's a really interesting idea for a storytelling device, but I've never seen that done on a
0: TV show before. And it seems like such no, an no obvious smart idea, never been done. Uh, but to answer your question, this is airing in Australia on SBS. And the first episode of the season dropped last night as we record this. So Thursday nights at 8.30, it broadcasts on the TV. And then episodes are on SBS On Demand. And look, I'm saying don't necessarily go back and watch the earlier episodes. But if you watch the newer ones and you're like, you know what? this show's kind of got something happening for me. You can find the previous season streaming in Australia on Stan. And in the US, they're on Paramount+. Plus.
1: And isn't Manny Patinkin just the best thing that's ever happened to television? He just turns up in these series and, and he's just fantastic.
0: I'm yeah. just amazed at how easily he slid into the show.
1: Yeah, no, love it. Great stuff. Good looking forward to it. What's next? Simon, I think we are
0: doing something from you. Uh, we're taking a look at the new French film Perfumes. We're
1: in Alsace. Ça vous de m'expliquer ce qu'on vient de faire? Je suis ce que c'est? Né. Oui, je sais ce que c'est, Vous m'aidez pas à monter mes valises Fumez pas,
0: portez mes affaires. Non, mais juste dire merci et bonne soirée.
1: So this is rolling into cinemas. Uh, July 1 came out this week, July 29 in Sydney because of the lockdown. Perfumes is a very charming French drama starring the wonderful Emmanuel DeVos as a nose. Now, that is a term used within the uh, fragrance industry who about a woman or a person who has the ability to create world-class fragrances to define the very elements um, of Uh, nature and uh space and time well maybe not space and time um to create a a fragrance that is uh, groundbreaking now she was the best in the industry for many years but um things started to derail for her and now she's as we meet her she is uh, sniffing out caves that's right caves um so that local councils can recreate the smells in man-made caves now things get very weird for her um most weird of all is it coming into her life is Gregory Montel as a driver for hire, a limo a chauffeur, um, who may just be the influence she needs to return to the top of her game. He's got his own problems trying to sort out a custody battle with his daughter and his ex-wife. He desperately needs the limo job, but she's very hard to deal with. Um, And they take a bit of time developing a chemistry that builds into this wonderful friendship story. Um, The film is written and directed by Gregory Meunier. We've got an interview with Gregory over on the Facebook page and via our podcast platforms. Definitely worth listening to. He has created an intelligent, sophisticated delight This is only his second feature. He hasn't made a movie since 2012. Um, It's definitely worth checking out when it comes to a cinema near you. Uh, In a week of of very scant releases, it might be worth checking out something a bit different. And this has come along at exactly the right time to do that. It's called Perfumes in Cinemas as We Speak. Look, as someone who can't go to the cinema for another week at least, I could not (laughs) want to go to the movies
0: more than I can right now. Like, I'm desperate, Simon. Desperate. Yeah, it's
1: been a while. Considering the last thing I saw at the movies was oh, what F nine maybe at the actual cinemas. Um, yeah, I'm keen to get back inside the big dark room as soon as we can. So, let's have a look at a new Netflix series, Part One of Fear Street. Are you okay? <laughs> that was 1978, five thousand nine
0: hundred thirty-seven days ago. <laughs>
1: Side:
0: a history of horror has earned it the nickname Killer Capital USA. What's
1: happening, guys? A circle of teenage friends accidentally encounter the ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years. Welcome to Shadyside. Now, Netflix has asked us not to reveal too much about the interconnectivity of the three standalone films in the Fear Street trilogy. These have all been adapted from R.L. Stein's best-selling books. In the weeks ahead, we get Fear Street 1978 and 1666, and the chilling legend of Sarah Fear and the pact she made with the devil is fleshed out in more detail. In part one, we revisit 1994. Now, technically, it is one year before the horror movie landscape was jolted out of the doldrums by Scream, but that doesn't stop director Lee Janniak opening his Trilogy With a direct homage to the Drew Barrymore opening in Wes Craven's classic, one of the great joys of Fear Street Part 1 is deep diving into the cinematic references. I know what you did last summer, The Faculty, a bit of Blair Witch Project, you name it, it's in there. If it's from the 90s and a horror film, it gets a nod in this um, in a very unironic way, they love the period and they, uh, they love recreating the best moments from it. Stylistically, it mimics the period perfectly with fashions and music and home computer tech lovingly restored. And the production recalls those films mentioned above by not overpopulating streets or malls, driving home the notion that this is a teenager's world and everything and everyone beyond the concerns of the kids at the centre of the story is just extraneous. Where the narrative differs to 90s throwbacks is in the same-sex love story between the two Lees Dina, played by Keana Madeira, and Sam, the wonderful Olivia Scott Welch. Aside from the initial reveal, which is a real surprise, it is handled as matter-of-factly as the millions of boy-girl romantic beats that featured in the slasher pics of, get this, 25 years ago. That still freaks me out. Be warned, it is hardcore horror at key moments. Part of the enjoyment of these films, then and now, is the quote-unquote kill quality, as the fan. say and I'm one and part one of Fear Street doesn't skimp on the red sauce I am very excited about seeing parts two and parts three Um, this is destined for some real Netflix cult followings I think Um, but do be warned it gets a bit bloody so Fear Street part one is on Netflix from today and uh, the next two parts drop in the weeks ahead. (laughs) So, Simon,
0: as we discussed at the top, we are in a lockdown right now, and so prison is very much something that's firmly on our mind. And look, (laughs) it's a ridiculous thing, because while we talk about it being a lockdown, like, you know, it just means that we can't just do and go out and do a couple of fun things here and there. Like, it's not really like we're in that lockdown. Like, you know, my life hasn't changed that much in this last week, which might be a sad indictment about my day-to-day. But anyway, Simon, it does mean we can't get along to the movies. It means that when Black Widow launches in cinemas for some people around the country on Thursday night next week, I'll be there thinking, do I really want to spend $30 plus watching this on Disney Plus? I'm
1: not sure. I know. And we missed it. There was a huge fan event in Melbourne through the week, uh, which was one of four or five from around the world. They got to be at the simultaneous world premiere of A Black Widow, um, which we were going to have in Sydney, but we didn't have. Thanks a lot, COVID. Um, That's okay. I hadn't been invited
0: anyway, so whatever. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, Simon, I thought maybe we could just discuss the idea of prison movies and prison TV shows. What is it that we like about them? What are some of the better ones? And let's go with you first, because I get the feeling that you're probably a bit of a fan of this as a genre.
1: Um a well-made prison film i think gives us an insight into just a a shocking tough brutal world but many of the best ones are done with a real sense of humanity and that that appeals to me um some of my favorite films one of my very favorite australian films is a prison movie called ghosts of the civil dead it's a john hillcote film from from the mid 80s um I'm always looking for that to turn up on one of the streaming channels or somewhere because it's a it's a brilliantly brutal look at a, a near futuristic prison. Um, and Australia has a great sort of history of, of prison movies. Brian Brown in Stir, um, obviously Chopper featured some very brutal prison scenes. Uh, Hoodwinked with John Hargrave. So Australian. Um, Uh, prison films have have featured heavily in in my upbringing. Um, There are some stunning documentaries out there uh, on life in prison, a movie called Tattooed Tears uh, about the really tough teen murderers that are locked up in the prison system. Uh, is a fantastic movie. And of course, you know, the way Hollywood treats prison life uh, can both be uh, moving and and uh, very emotional with films like Dead Man Walking, um, or it can be stir-crazy with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. So it's a, it, it's a genre that, that runs the gamut. So look, when I come across prison movies, I
0: don't really like movies that are set in prison so much. So... Obviously, the reason why I think we're so fascinated with prison movies is that we're really seeing films about people that have been stripped of all their liberties and people that are adapting to a new social environment that's really quite uh, unique from a day-to-day environment people are in. Uh, There's like a microcosm that exists within a prison. There's different sort of power levels and this power game is being played within a prison and a lot of movies will focus on that and TV shows will focus on that as a thing as well. But I kind of find that what I find so fascinating about it is going deep into some of these power systems that exist in a prison. And a movie just doesn't really deliver, like, the depth that I'm looking for within that. Like, I kind of like to go deeper and deeper into the way that prison starts changing a person. And a film, based on the fact that you're looking at about a two-hour runtime, just can't really quite go into the depth that I'm looking for but I love movies that have people escaping from a prison and people who've left a prison environment and have to find a new way back into society. Those are all stories that are really compelling. Um, Out of Sight is one of my all-time favourite movies, and that has a (laughs) mix of scenes sort of within that prison environment, but also them making their escape and getting out and getting mixed up in crime once more. Um, So that kind of story I really enjoy. TV show-wise, though, I think that's kind of where prison really sort of finds its best uh, possible screen depictions. One of my all-time favourite shows, the series Oz, which, I mean, is oh, wow, a yeah. yeah deeply compelling drama series. Uh, some of the stars of movies and TV shows that we've seen for the last 25 years have all largely come from Oz. It was such a great sort of fertile breeding ground of great character actors and just people getting their shots, you know, finally be able to make their way onto the screen. Um, outside of Oz, like, I've... Maybe admired some of these shows more than really enjoyed them. So things like Orange is the New Black, I think, had a lot of yep. really interesting, compelling elements Elements at first. It kind of went on a little bit too long and was maybe interested in things that I wasn't as interested in within a prison experience. Uh, but that said, like, it did a lot of really interesting, compelling ideas through its, I want to say, six-season run. Uh, there was also mm-hmm. the show Prison Break, which I think had a fairly uh, loyal audience. In Australia, we had the long-running series Prisoner, followed by the recent revival of it Wentworth. And both of those shows certainly had some uh, very strong sort of soap elements and just ideas, dramatic tension that can kind of, you know, really be milked for. How long did Prisoner run for? Like, almost like people's entire lives, effectively. That was a monster show. Yeah, the show.
1: Long, long enough to um, uh, inspire an all-male version uh, spin-off starring Mel Gibson, I think, for a little while. Can you remember what that was called? I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, of course. There was a male version of Prisoner, and I can't remember the name of it. Okay, well, Um,
0: sorry, I I can run through this now. I've done a little bit of the Google research here. The series was called Punishment. Uh, This is a series that ran for 26 episodes back in 1981. And in the cast, a couple of names that people certainly do know So Mel Gibson played Rick Monroe for two episodes, apparently. Uh, but then you also had people in there, like say Brian Wenzel. You've got other names: Julie McGregor, uh, Chris McQuaid, and Hattie was in yep. there. So a lot of people that have dominated Australian TV soaps. Uh, Barry Crocker was uh, Governor. The Alan Smith. Barry Crocker,
1: yeah. Who would claim to be Barry Crocker? Who was not? That's what I always say. <laughs> so there you go. It's called Punishment, and I don't know if it's available anywhere, but it was a, like I say, a male spin on the oil all, all-female prisoner story, and it's um. I, it was laughed off the screens from what I remember. It was a kind of a major flop.
0: Look, there's a Monster Prisoner Cell Blocked H uh, DVD set you can buy, which has ha- got more DVDs than I've ever seen sitting on a shelf anywhere. Uh, but there's also <laughs> the series Punishment on DVD. Apparently, the complete season was released, so 26 episodes, and probably sits oh, there my.
1: quite comfortably on people's shelves somewhere. See, this is why we have to do this podcast, to bring this news to people. How would they have known punishment was out there? So to get back to our prison stories... Um,
0: yeah, I was also going to say, there was another show that was kind of, I think, probably heavily inspired by Oz more than anything else. It was a Spanish-language series called Cappadocia, and that was very much doing what Orange the New Black did a couple of years later, uh, but sort of within a Spanish prison context, which I have to say looks far more frightening than anything I ever saw on either Oz or Orange the New Black. <laughs>
1: Um. Yeah, when when films take on prison life in all their hardships and all their horrors, it can be some of the most gruelling television or, or or films that you see. One of my favourite films is a Robert Redford movie called Brubaker, where he plays a new warden who decides to go undercover in a prison um, to find out just if all the horror stories he's been hearing are true. Um, it is a, a terrific film, sadly ignored amongst... Uh, Robert Redford's uh, list of films Um, but it's it's a a 1980 film and definitely worth checking out I'm pretty sure it's on one of the streaming platforms Um, but so many good films Uh, and I think what really works for a prison film for me is the way they can sort of cut back to the really bare bones the power structure that exists uh, within the prison and I guess by association in society in general they can become like this microcosm of power manipulation that that happens you know covertly out in the real world but very outwardly and very um uh, frankly in inside a prison system because well, you've got um, multiple,
0: you've got multiple layers so you've got the outside influence of the world on prisons which by and large prisons are also largely forgotten by the outside world until there becomes a mm. situation so you've got that yep. power imbalance. You've got people being stripped of the freedoms that existed. So there's a element of the outside world taking away these people's power. But within that as well, you've got people who run the prison. You've got various levels of management within a prison. And then the prisoners themselves often set up uh, various sort of power dynamics that exist within that as well. So it's layer upon layer of um, power struggles taking place. And each of those levels of power have their own struggles taking place with alternate levels of power. And it's such yep. a area that's just right for a dramatic interest
1: and i think probably arguably the most famous of all prison films and the one that really made an impact in its time was midnight express um uh, the alan parker film uh that featured a young man in a turkish prison um became the subject of, of sort of um, butts of jokes no let's try that again had such an impact that it um Became very cool to satirize it and, and make fun of it, but in its day, it was a um, a potent and a powerful story about a how horrible prison life can be, but also b how strong the human spirit can be to to um help survive that environment. Um, the scene in which the lead character meets his girlfriend um, through the glass window is still one of the most chilling and heartbreaking scenes uh, from any movie. Um, And it's been many years since I've watched Midnight Express, but it's not a movie you often return to just for the joy of it. It's a a tough film. Um, But it captures what prison life really is.
0: Let's end the segment with probably the biggest question that I've ever levelled at you, Simon, which is Mm. what do you think is the stronger outing? 1974 is the longest yard or 2005 is the longest yard?
1: Well, I think anything that features Adam Sandler has a great deal of credibility about it and I think should be taken um, a a, a, a... (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't keep that up. Um, No, no, that's staying in. Uh, You know, neither of them are particularly great films, I've got to be honest. I'm a fan of both the Burt Reynolds version and the Adam Sandler version, but I'm going to go Burt Reynolds because he's of my era. So uh, I know you were trying to be funny, but I actually do find both those movies really interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think they're interesting, but maybe not for the reasons they were intended.
1: Yeah, maybe not. Okay,
0: so that was Life in Prisons. That was this week's screen-watching middle bit. And look, Simon, I think that when history looks back at the segment we just did then, they'll say, yep, that was definitely a middle bit. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Simon, it comes a time in everyone's life when they're hosting a podcast where they say, let's throw everything to the side. Let's just take a look at the week
1: ahead. I think that's a great idea Uh, there's some new series this week on Stan a series called Liverpool Narcos 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 I think it's pronounced it's a new doco series Narcos it's a new documentary series Um, all episodes are landing at once on Stan this is the story of the 1980s drugs boom the epicentre of which was Liverpool in England which turned dealing into a multi-million pound business and changed Britain forever Uh, buzz on this is that it's a great doco series I'm looking forward to seeing this one
0: I just want to start singing Narcos, Narcos man. I want to be a Narcos man. Hey, on Friday, the 2nd of July, that's tonight on the ABC TV and the ABC IV, you got Move Into the Country, which celebrates the entrepreneurs, innovators, and dreamers. Uh, That sounds like me. Uh, Who are transforming the look and feel of Australia's beautiful regional areas in surprising new ways. But Simon, Mm -hmm. the thing that I'm actually really excited to check out this weekend is on Amazon Prime, you've got another big blockbuster action film that's debuting right on television where it was meant to be, The Tomorrow Mm. War, which stars Chris Pratt and a bunch of other notable actors. And this is a very high fantasy conceit, with a group of time travellers who arrive from the year 2051 to deliver us an urgent message. Apparently 30 years in the future, mankind will lose a global war against an alien invasion. The only hope for survival is that soldiers and civilians from the present be transported to the future to join the fight. Oh, wow.
1: That says Chris Pratt through and through, doesn't it? <laughs> now, was this made for the big screen and ended up on Amazon Prime? Or is this an Amazon Prime sanctioned production? I think it was one of these
0: things where it had been made and they ended up getting involved in a being war on Amazon with the ones that took it.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. Now I'm keen to see it. The special effects this reeks of something like big dumb sci-fi action like an Independence Day. So I'm all for that of course. Tomorrow War hit Amazon Prime uh this weekend I think around the world. So um we might have a look at that and review it in the in next week's show. It does. And this is maybe
0: not necessarily a look at the week ahead as maybe as much as the next couple of months ahead if i was looking for something to watch on tv this weekend i would maybe fire up uh locally i guess binge or break out the dvds if you still have them and maybe get started on a rewatch of the sopranos because during the week we saw the trailer drop for the many saints of newark which is the sopranos prequel movie and i kind of get the feeling that you're going to be wanting to get your mind back across the sopranos before that movie drops in i want to say it's in october I don't know, I did the math the other day and I figured you could comfortably watch a few episodes a week of The Sopranos and be pretty much ready to go. So this week, start re The Sopranos because I think you'll definitely find it to be a worthwhile experience.
1: Yeah, it looked like a terrific trailer keen to see it Um, around Australia although cinemas are shut here in our hometown of Sydney there are a couple of new films um, hitting the cinemas escape room tournament of champions I didn't know anything about this when I read it it's the sequel to the box office hit from a couple of years ago six people unwittingly how did that happen how is it unwittingly find themselves locked in another series of escape rooms slowly uncovering what they have in common to survive and discovering they've all played the game before sounds like Um, hosting this podcast yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, and in a few smaller cinemas is a film called Little Joe, which does Emily Beecham and Ben Wishaw. She is a plant breeder, a scientist who engineers a special flower that gives off endorphins to make humans feel happy. But she takes one home as a gift for her teenage th- son, and his behaviour starts to change terribly. Um, I found this a really slow film, not without some interesting moments, um, and it certainly looks beautiful in part. Emily Beecham won the Cannes Film Festival Best Actress Award for this role. I don't get it, but um, it's got some it's got some interesting moments. But this one sort of reeks small screen to me. So maybe wait till it hits one of the streaming platforms. Yeah, look, we might be locked down, but there are a couple of cinemas that are still open. Well, a
0: couple of states that have cinemas open at the moment. Alice Springs, you can get along and see Minecraft Live
1: Gaming. That's right. Yeah, You go into the cinema, you laptop yourself up and connect to their Wi-Fi, you log into your Minecraft account, and then you can play it all on the big screen. They have music to boost the experience. This is all happening next Tuesday, the 6th of July um, from one thirty. Now, at this stage, that is all still happening. I've spoken to the cinema, and it's all still on. They'll be open by then. Um, so that might be something interesting worth doing. Using the cinema space for something other than just watching movies is something that the exhibition industry has to uh look at very seriously um at Dendi. thanks to the delta variant brisbane is
0: still under lockdown and as we record this a second ago i saw a push notification saying they're locked down for another 24 hours and there is a bit yeah. of an outbreak situation happening so if you're in brisbane on sunday and lockdown has ended you can get along and see true is the
1: 400 blows but canberra which i don't think is locked down you'll be able to see that regardless yeah, that's a good idea. You can stay in your car and go to the movies at the Luna Drive-In at Dandenong in Victoria. You can catch retro sessions of Home Alone and Shrek and Frozen, um, alongside all the latest hits as well. Gates open from 5.30, movies from 6.30. Uh, all tickets are being sold online, so there's no personal interaction there, and you've got to wear your mask in the cafe. But otherwise, you can sit in your car with your mask off and just have a good time watching these old movies, just like they did back in the day.
0: My birthday last year, uh, I was currently in lockdown, so I couldn't really get along to any movies. But I went to the drive-in because they were doing a screening of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was my favorite wow. film of the 12 months prior to that. And so uh-huh. I sat there on my birthday watching that great film in the drive-in. And I mentioned oh. that mostly because this week, uh, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood book has been released. So this will be what a wow. big part of my weekend is going to involve. Do
1: you, is it available in Australia? Did you pick that up in Oz?
0: Yeah, 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 so I got delivered to my front door just a couple of days ago. So How
1: exciting.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, if, pe- if people don't know what the deal is with this book, basically it's the novelization of the movie, but it also works as a prequel to the movie and a sequel in some regards. It fills in a lot of the backstory of Cliff, who is quite a mysterious figure within the film. Uh, also, Quentin Tarantino takes some diversions of telling a story about a fictional him and his fictional uh, stepfather who both obviously exist in real life and how Quentin became a fan of movies through watching movies with his stepdad. Uh, but in a fictionalized setting, there's uh, detours into the fictional western that they're filming throughout the t- uh, throughout the film. Like, oh, it's wow. a very unique book, and I'm very keen to get started on this thing.
1: It looks like a hefty tome. How many pages is that?
0: Uh, yeah, because I'm waving it around on the camera in front of Simon here. Uh, it's yeah. like 400 pages exactly.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay,
0: I'm in. Apparently, it's a very breezy read, so...
1: Yeah. Looking forward to it. And I should point out that our good friends at the Revelations Perth International Film Festival screening at the Lunar Leaderville. Now, they've had their first two days cancelled due to lockdown, but the programme will commence uh, from the Saturday session. So do get along to the Lunar Leaderville. Look after the team at Revelations. They've got some really crazy films uh, as part of their lineup this year. Now, Simon, it is a
0: big week for history because you and I were history buffs that pay attention to the most important things in mm-hmm. history, all of history. Mm. So let's yep. talk about the most important things in all of history. On July 2nd in 1980, Airplane, or as we know it in Australia, Flying High! Exclamation mark, uh, was released. <laughs> uh, also another big event, July 5th, 1989, a little show called The Seinfeld Chronicles debuted with its pilot episode airing on NBC, later re Seinfeld and then cut to uh, 32 years later. And the soundtrack to Seinfeld is also being released this week.
1: Is it really? That's yeah. fascinating. Just a couple of I hours' time. We all want to know what Mick Jagger was doing on July 6th, 1969. I can tell you, he was in Australia filming Ned Kelly. It began filming on July six, And on July six, exactly one year ago, we farewelled the great Italian maestro Ennio Morricone. Still miss him, some of the great soundtracks to some of the finest films ever made. So, uh, Veil Big Mick Jagger's still with us, so we won't veil him.
0: Celebrating some birthdays this week. July 2nd, Margot Robbie, who was born in 1990 (gasps) in Dalby in Queensland. Uh, You've got Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, Cruise? Yeah cries i've heard of that guy i know of him yeah i'm sure i've seen him in something uh july 3rd 1962 that guy was born in syracuse in new york sylvester Sliced alone was born in new york city on july 6 1946 and sophia bush july 8 1982
1: well that's it for another screen watching my friend uh plenty to have spoken about good show my name is simon foster you can read my words over at Screenspace, screen hyphen net oh. You can read my words over at Screenspace, screen-space.net where I rant regularly about all things cinema. I'm at Twitter at SimonRFoster1 and go to the Screen Watching Facebook page at Screen Watching Podcast uh, for a steady stream of all screen news from around the world. And meanwhile, I've been thrown off because
0: usually I go first on the sign off. So I'm going to try to work out what I usually say and just point out that I am Dan Barrett. You can find me on Twitter at the Dan Barrett's. You can start your day with my free newsletter. It's called Always Be Watching. And you can find that at alwaysbewatching.com. And that, of course, has the big stories in TV, streaming, and film. And on Fridays, I do drop the Always Be Streaming newsletter, which recounts all the big shows and movies that have launched that week on streaming. And this podcast, you can follow screen watching via your favorite podcast app. If you load it up right now and hit the follow button, the podcast will just come flowing on in.
1: Flowing on in. That's podcast talk, people. Thank you for being part of screen watching this week. Thank you, Mr. Barrett. Enjoy your lockdown period. Um, enjoy your screen watching. Thank you, Mr. Foster. Enjoy your next
0: week of lockdown. And I guess maybe on the Saturday, the two of us can emerge from our lockdown cocoons, rub our eyes and look at the sunshine as it beams in as we head off to the movies.
1: Yeah, that'll be fun. All right, mate. See you later. Bye-bye.